Hey friends, welcome to the Perfectionist Guide to Mothering. I'm your host, Andrea Fortenberry. This is a podcast about finding freedom from perfectionism to show up for the life God has for you. Mom life is messy, unpredictable, and just plain hard sometimes, but it's also amazing. I believe God uses it all to grow us into the women He wants us to be. We can't do motherhood on our own. We need God's help. We need wisdom from other moms. We need the encouragement of community. I hope you'll find all of that and more as you listen in. Welcome to episode 54 of the Perfectionist Guide to Mothering, aka part four of our summer series, The Perfectionist Guide to Friendship. Stacey's joining me again today. Last time we talked about how to make friends. And Stacey, you have some interesting stats to share connecting last episode to the episode we're talking about today. Yeah. So I did a little digging on the internet and an interesting stat that popped up was a survey that was done of Americans just in the last year. And it says that 22% of Americans say it has been at least five years since they made a new friend. And this is one in five, over one in five people saying they have not made a new friend in the in the last five years. And that is kind of, at first I was kind of shocked, but then as you think about the number of people who say they're lonely and maybe don't know how to make friends, that actually doesn't feel quite so crazy. So I was going to say, if you're listening to this and you've not listened to our last episode and you're like, yeah, I am definitely one of those people. I haven't made a new friend in a while. Go back and listen to that. The last episode we did about how do you make friends as an adult woman. You know, it's not like it was in kindergarten. And in that episode, you're going to hear us not just talk about some techniques to actually go actually find some people, but you're going to hear us talk about the mindset shift you have to make in order to be willing to put yourself out there. And a big part of that is opening yourself up to being vulnerable right from step one, because opening up and walking up to someone and saying, hi, My name is Stacy. Like, do you want to get coffee? That is a huge kind of level of vulnerability for a lot of us. So it's a great segue from listen to last week. And then we're going to talk about what does vulnerability really look like in the context of adult friendships. Right. So I think a good place for us to start today is to talk about what is vulnerability? I think vulnerability has, it can look differently and it can be different actions that we take, but I think that word can be very scary to people. So my take on what vulnerability is, is really allowing people to see the real you being your most authentic self. And that can be through sharing stories about your life. That can be about letting people know about struggles that you have or challenges you're facing. So I think those are just a few ways, but I think vulnerability is just being who you are and letting people see that. That's right. I think it can be sharing, like you said, history of yourself, sharing your current thoughts and opinions about things that you know there are differing opinions about in the world right now. And it can also be literally showing tangible things about your life. I know people who are really nervous about showing scars on their body or letting people into their physical homes because they are nervous seeing parts of yourself, right? I mean, you can put on a good show, but when someone comes over and sees your collection of 800 Cabbage Patch dolls, they're going to (laughs) No, <laughs> they can know you had a thing, right? right. Badge dolls. So <laughs> there is, it's, it's scary because I think, like you said, there's emotional, there's an emotional level to it. 
There can be a physical, tangible level to it. But at both levels, the commonality is like you're exposing something of yourself that somebody may say, I don't like that. And therefore I don't like you. (laughs) And that is scary. Yeah. I definitely think that's why we're so afraid of it is because we're opening ourselves up to the potential of hurt or rejection, or again, someone changing their opinion about us because they know something about us that they didn't know before. And what do they do with that? So I think that's why vulnerability can be really scary, but I guess on the flip side, if we are not vulnerable with people and we're not being authentic, then I think we also rob other people of the blessing of knowing us or knowing our stories. And so I think it's important for us to focus on that maybe more than our fears that we have about being vulnerable and sharing who we are. And I think it's, it, there has another layer of effect that it has on us with social media and stuff. And the, definitely, certainly in the last 10 years, it's become more and more popular. It's so easy to show only the best parts of yourself. Yes. And then it's funny because we know we're only showing the best parts of ourselves, but we look at other people's stuff and we don't say to ourselves, oh, they're only showing me the best parts of themselves. We just look at it and go like, oh, that's their whole self. And that, you know, that's, if it's not true for you, it's not true for them. And yet it like makes us I think less open to being our authentic self because we're now comparing ourselves to this idealized lifestyle of someone else. And that in turn makes us less likely to put ourselves out there, create new friends. And so this interesting stat, another interesting stat, can you tell I like stats that I read (laughs) this week was that, so they took this same question in 1990 and then just this past year. So in 1990, 27% of people said they had three or fewer close friends. So about a quarter, but just this past year, 49% of people now say they have three or fewer close friends. So it's literally the number of people have doubled who say they have three or fewer close friends. And I have to believe part of that is driven by this, this kind of social media culture where now I can just put out that false front. And then I'm looking at other people's idealized image. And so we're not being authentic with each other. And not only does it make it so that people are not authentically seeing me, it changes my expectations for what a person should be. And then when I meet a person in real life and I start to get to know them and you start to see who they are, their full self. And of course, inevitably there's going to be aspects of that person that don't match your idealized expectation of what a friend is or what this person like that should do. We are so quick to just be like, well, I can't be friends with this person anymore, or I'm not going to let this friendship grow, or I'm not going to overlook this or figure out a way to overcome this in my relationship. I'm just going to trash it because we have skewed our perception of what other people should be to us and in their own lives. And the only person who suffers is us because once again, then we become this higher stat that we see in the last 20 years of having fewer friends because our expectations are unrealistic now. Right. For sure. And then I think another thing touching on social media is I think we forget those people, our online friends that we're looking at and again, holding them to high expectations of what they should be like. And I think we, we lose the humanity, right? Like we use, we lose some of that human connection of connecting with people in real life and in person and being like, oh, you're a human like me and you're not perfect and I'm not perfect. And so I think we just have to be super careful about that. And we all can get sucked into that trap of social media, making us think things that aren't true, or again, making our expectations a lot higher than 
than what they really need to be. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I feel like before the last five years, the biggest, I think for me, the biggest things, points of nervousness of vulnerability with other people was like, well, what if they disagree with my parenting style? Or what if we have differing views on money or marriage or it would tend to devolve around parenting stuff, right? You know, I mean, literally, you know, as MOPS leaders, like we've been in women's ministry for a long time, about more than five years ago, we would tell leaders, you should try to avoid talking about at tables where things like, let's make sure people don't have arguments about whether it's like breastfeeding or bottle feeding is best or different parenting styles, like whatever, like that was the most divisive things that could happen at the table that we had said, look, people have different opinions. We don't want to create conflict in that. We want to build bonds with the things that we have in person. Now in the last, I would say five years, the number of things now that if they get brought up in conversation are going to be immediately decisive and just like a complete friendship grenade, you know, like these, the trust bonds are not going to be there. Politics, pandemic stuff and pandemic stuff can involve like all different kinds of things, politics, science, all all kinds of things. And it makes that I think people really nervous about stepping into some of these conversations or even just putting themselves in a relationship space where you might have these conversations, because you know, if you're a friend with someone in the last five years, you're going to have a conversation about their views on vaccines or politics or whatever, because these are huge Like this is what's happening in our lives and it's affecting our everyday lives. You cannot not talk about Mm -hmm. it. But I think some people are like, I just don't want to, I don't want to talk about this stuff with people. Mm -hmm. And so they don't. And so either a friendship reaches a certain point where it can't grow anymore, or it reaches a certain vulnerability level where it's just not going to get any deeper because you can't not talk about some of these massive things in your life Mm -hmm. and think that the relationship's going to grow just like a massive elephant in the room that you're trying to move around. So I think that's just another like cultural aspect that's kind of in the last five years that has made it harder for all of us to be authentically ourselves and be Mm -hmm. vulnerable with our friends. Yeah, for sure. I, I'm one of those people that I will definitely listen to other people's opinions. I don't let it like be a barrier of, Oh, I'm not gonna be friends with someone because they disagree with me, but I I will, I will hesitate and not share my opinion or my thoughts on something. And I, over these past couple of years, because pandemic stuff, like I've thought about that, like, am I being my most authentic self because I'm not sharing my side or my differing view with this friend. And so it's something I've, I've had to think about and trying to work on a little bit myself. I know. I was just talking about this yesterday with someone. It's kind of like this fear cycle. Like you want to share your opinion because it is a part of who you are, but you're afraid to share it because you're afraid of what the reaction will be. And so then we don't share it because we're like, well, it's safer just to be quiet on this topic, whatever it is. Then when we don't share it inside, you feel this like internal conflict. This is a big part of kind of like how I'm living my life right now, or my perceptions on the things that are happening in the world right now. And so by not sharing it, am I being not my authentic self? And now I'm not being who I want to be, or am I being a good friend or an authentic person if I'm not sharing this? And then it just starts this whole snowball effect that just, you know, it's not good. (laughs) Yeah. And I think there's so many aspects of our lives that we can be vulnerable about. So like we're saying some of this more recent stuff, current events, but I think also just stories of our past or 
experiences who shaped us into who we are that maybe are hard to talk about, but again, they, they informed who we are. Like I I've thought about that. I have friends that I've met in this parenting season of life that I don't know much about them before. Right. So I've often wondered like, how do I find that out? How do I ask questions or create intimacy with these friends so that I, I know more about them. And and so it's just an interesting thing. I think like timing of when you meet friends and knowing about certain things about them, it just depends on that season of life that you're in when you meet them and how conversation can connect. I think in this stage of when we're parenting, a lot of our initial conversations with new people that we meet is about our kids, right? It's not even about us. It's about our kids. How old are your kids? What activities do they do? This is about my kids. This is what we do as a family. This is where we're going on vacation. So I think we have to be super intentional about digging under those things and finding out more about who people are And that takes time and effort. Like we've talked all about throughout this whole series is time and effort are required. Yeah. I mean, I think about how you and I met obviously first as coworkers. And so it was like, well, we've got to get to know each other because we're working together. And then our friendship has grown as we've had more time together. But then also the work was like that structure that we were able to build our friendship under. But then I don't know how it first came up, but like when we both learned that we were both children of divorce, of adult divorce, that was an interesting point of vulnerability that we shared. I think we both kind of recognized, oh, this is something we can talk about together in a way that other people don't necessarily understand. And that has become an important foundation building block in kind of allowing us to let our friendship go to the next level. And we both had to be vulnerable in that. You know, I think we've all had that point in a friendship where you share something that feels sensitive and tender. And the other person is like, hmm, Right. I'm so sorry. And you're like, okay, I thought I would give it something and then you would give something in return or whatever. And then they don't. And then you feel a little foolish or embarrassed or almost angry that you kind of like put it out there because then you're like, what are they going to do with this piece of information? But in reciprocating that, then it's interesting how vulnerability not only was it a a friendship foundation block, but I feel like in being vulnerable with you about that, I, it has helped me process even here it is 20 plus years after my parents got divorced. It has helped me process certain aspects of it that I didn't even realize still needed to be processed a little bit because it's hard to share some of these more sensitive pieces of your life. Right. And yeah, this is a good example of, I don't know that I would have known that about you had I not, I don't remember exactly how it happened. You know, one of us went first and sharing this little piece of information. And then the other one got to be like, oh, I know what you're going through. So I think it's important for us to, to do that in our friendships, because then we find that connection and then the, the intimacy and the strength of the relationship can just grow from there. Now, I know you're reading a book right now that you told me had a couple of really good quotes that you feel applied to this topic. So why don't you share those quotes with us? Yes. So I am reading the book, Growing Slow, Lessons on Unhurrying Your Heart from an Accidental Farm Girl by Jennifer Dukes Lee. And I love it because she talks all about how good things 
take time to grow. And in our culture, we want everything fast and instant and right away. And we try to hurry it. And so because she is a farmer's wife, she talks a lot about seasons and harvest and all of this. So here's a chapter from Summer Growth. And she says, there are no life hacks for connection. Relationships don't just happen. The awkward first step is key. So we've talked a lot about that. And then I love this. She also says, you simply can't put down roots quickly and you cannot connect and hurry at the same time. People are starving for connection, but we are racing by, not even waving from the car window. We are avoiding eye contact at the store, sending off hasty text messages as a means of communication and settling for shallow, fragile relationships because we don't even know what we're missing. Let's be intentional. Let's be the people who grow slow with friends and family, with strangers, and with the new kid on the block. Let's connect with the people who've regrettably lost touch with and then plant new seeds in rejoined hearts. True connection will unhurry a heart in ways that little else can. So I love that. Yeah, there's just so much depth to that. And the part that really stands out to me is about we avoid eye contact with people. We send those text messages with our friends and we settle for shallow relationships that we're just okay with that. And I think technology has a lot of blessings to it, but I think that's one thing that we really get a false sense of, I think is, is true relationship and intimacy because we can connect instantly with someone anywhere in the world, but what is the depth of our relationship with our friends? Yeah. And I think we touched on a little bit last episode when we were talking about making friends and how you have to have room in your schedule to actually spend time with friends. You know, I think about one, again, that one of the aspects of having an overly full schedule is that we are constantly just busy. Like we're constantly rushing from one thing to another and we never linger anywhere. And often like vulnerability doesn't just happen like, hi, how are you? My name is Stacy. Let me share all my secrets with you. <laughs> like, like, right, like right. don't do that. That's not, that's not what the, <laughs> like, that is not vulnerability. That is just like secret vomiting or something. Yes, like that is not yes. the same thing to get to a point where you are truly comfortable being authentically yourself and sharing of yourself, it like you have to have a foundation built, like a trust foundation built. And that can only be built with time and effort, like we talked about before, but like she said in her quote. And so part of that is like structured time, like, hey, come over, let's spend this two hours just sitting on my couch and drinking coffee. And part of it's like in these little unscheduled times, like lingering when class is over, lingering mm-hmm. when church is over, lingering after mops is over. And it's just like in 10 minute, 15 minute, 20 minute increments of like, oh, I see you. We have these conversations about these kind of like mid level topic of conversations that went well. So now I'm comfortable moving to the next. It is a building process. You can't go from zero to a hundred. And you also can't stay at a hundred. There is a spectrum here. And you, like she said, like it is, I think that, that growth, that farmer's perspective Mm -hmm. is so helpful because it does, it takes time and effort. And if you do not have any time, then, then you're like, where are you going to put that effort? There's nowhere to put that effort. And Mm -hmm. and sending a blast of a hundred text messages is not going to get you there. And, and a whole lot of time, but no effort isn't going to get you there 
either. As a military spouse who has had to move places, and I talk to a lot of military wives, and they'll say, well, I'm living in a place for three years. Like I got three years tops or even less. Sometimes people, you end up at a duty station for like 18 months or one year. Right. And they're like, I don't have time to go slow. And so I've seen over my 20, we've been in the military now for like 25 plus years, which is crazy. I see the full spectrum of responses to feeling the time pressure. And I see either women who they meet someone at the commissary, which is the grocery store. Like, oh. and the next day they are like, will you be my children's godmother? <laughs> like, they are there. And, and, and that works. Like if the other person is also feeling that intensity and time pressure, but it doesn't work. If the other person is like, Whoa, I'm just trying to buy cereal. Right. Like, you know, <laughs> right. like, yikes, it can be overwhelming. It can feel like, wow, you're trying to put a lot on me as a person. Like I'm, I'm dealing with my own stuff. I can't also carry your stuff. The foundation is not yet built in order to carry the weight of a deep, authentic relationship and all the support that needs to go with that. But that the more often though, I see spouses who end up at the other end of the spectrum, which is they say, well, I've only got a year here or two years or three years here. So what's the point? So they don't make friends. They don't put in any effort. They don't use any of the time they have. And they just accept like this life of, of loneliness as like, well, this is the life you live when you are kind of transient. You just don't have good friends, or you have kind of these shallow friendships. Like I'll just meet my neighbor. I'll just meet this person. And like, maybe I could ask him to like feed my cat if I go away for the weekend. But again, it's not, it's not those true depth of relationships. Like we've talked about wanting, like where you could share true vulnerability and they just have these shallow friendships. And then in their heart, they are still lonely. That makes me sad because you can still follow that suggestion of is a a process and some growth. Like, yeah, you don't have 10 years to develop it, but you, you also have, like, you've got more than a week. (laughs) You can, there is something you can do to at least start down that healthy path of let's spend some time and effort together, recognizing that this is a growth process to have an authentic relationship. And I can in stages, open myself up and be my authentic self and share this vulnerability for as long as we have together. And when our time is done and we move different places, that's okay too. But let's not squander the time we have and be lonely. Like, exactly. I was, good. I was thinking, yeah, the time is going to pass anyway. So right. you may as well invest it in something that's going to be meaningful to your life and someone else's life because you get to know each other. Even again, if it's not as deep of a level as you would hope it would be, if you get partway there, like that's, that's great. So don't let the yeah. time pass without reaching out and and putting effort into the connection that you want to have. Yeah. Well, I'd love to share this story. I have a real life story that I talked about in my book because it's like such an amazing story of a friend of mine being willing to be vulnerable. And then a couple other friends, myself, another friend kind of stepping into that, because I think when we're talking about vulnerability, having kind of some tangible examples of like what that looks mm-hmm. like is very helpful to yes. kind of understand what we're talking about. We were living in Virginia. We were living on a military base. Now, Uncle Sam had done a little bit of, of friendship help for me in that we were we got dropped into an, a, a house that was assigned to us on a street with people the same age with, you had to have at least four kids to live on this street. Oh, really? I had, yes. I had four kids, wow. which was the least number of children. 
of anyone in this little loop of six houses that we were on. So we were six identical houses, all facing each other around this tight, tight. (laughs) I think at one point, if every kid was outside, it was like 32 kids across. Oh my goodness. It was was insanity. (laughs) But I made two friends very quickly, Amber and Jennifer, because we were literally facing each other as soon as we opened the door. And so you have this kind of intimacy of life. Like I watched them take their trash out. I watched them. I could probably hear them if they were yelling at their kids in the house. (laughs) Our houses were identical. I could look out the window and if that light was on, I knew exactly what room that is because that's the same room that's in my house and I'm all 50 feet away. We got to know each other really well. I invited Amber and Jennifer into serving on my MOPS leadership team. And so this is just important backstory to know that like we started doing life together we were certainly starting to get vulnerable with each other. But of course, it was in the context of, of willingness to spend blocks of time together, working together mm-hmm. side by side on a shared project. So by the time we reach kind of this key point in the story, I want you to know that like we've known each other for like about a year, a little more than that. But we have also, as military spouses, we have purposely sped up the process. Like mm-hmm. We felt that desire for friendship kind of on a little bit of faster pace than mm-hmm. normal with each other. About 18 months into our friendship, Amber had baby number five and her husband was deployed. And of course, all of our civilian friends were like, oh, heavens, like this is terrible. (laughs) But to to us, honestly, like in the last 10 years, if you're a military spouse, like having your husband at home while you deliver a baby was a wonderful bonus. Like you can hope probably pretty rare. (laughs) It was pretty rare. The fact that my husband was there in the hospital with me for the birth of all four of my kids is like a minor Las Vegas (laughs) slot machine (laughs) miracle. Because just with the deployment tempos and trainings and stuff, it just often didn't happen. And so my friend Amber delivered baby number five, like a lot of military spouses. Well, well, he was supposed to be watching via like iPad, via Skype, but of course, communication blackout went down because something happened overseas. And so she gave birth pretty much with like her friend by her side. And then he watched like the recording the next day and met their baby remotely. He didn't actually meet the baby for almost another nine months after that. To get the story going here, she brought the baby home. And like kind of life went on and we were, we were kind of doing the regular like friend help things, but a couple weeks, maybe, maybe a month after the baby came home, I started noticing some things that were just off. Like her routine seemed off. Lights were on really late at night. I would see her at, at mops. And even though probably to other people, she looked, she was, she didn't look disheveled. She was dressed. She had mm-hmm. her hair brushed, she had brushed her teeth, but I could just tell something was off because we had enough of a friendship foundation built that I just felt these red flags. And I felt like God was prompting me to ask her if everything was okay. But honestly, I was really scared to do that because she was a former Marine herself. Okay. So she's like tough. This is baby number five. You know how it is as a mom. You're like, if I ask this person, if she needs help, she might take it. Like I would take it like an insult. What do you mean? Do I look like I'm losing my marbles here? Like, and honestly, this friendship was so valuable to me that I was afraid of losing it. I was afraid that if I approached her and said, I feel like something's wrong. If I was wrong, that our friendship would be ruined. And so honestly, I kept my mouth shut for about two weeks because I was too afraid of 
being vulnerable myself, like opening up our friendship to this in saying, I feel like something's wrong. Can I do something? And over the course of that two weeks, I got more and more uncomfortable because I felt like God was just poking me in the back and just whispering things in my ear. Like, did you see that? Did you see that? It was like little red flags everywhere. Something was not right until finally I couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> like I, that's like the spirit was like pressing on me so hard. I was like, fine. Okay. If I go over there and I ask for you, leave me alone. <laughs> so I did what felt like it felt so hard, but mm. I crossed the street all of 50 feet from my door to her door. <laughs> and I knocked on the door one day and I said, Hey, can I come in and talk to you? And she could tell from my tone that something was up. (laughs) And when we walked in the room, I'd been, I've been in her house like dozens and dozens of times over the previous year. And, but I had not been in the house in a couple of weeks since the baby came home because we were Mm -hmm. just trying to give her some space. And it was a disaster zone, Mm -hmm. like, and not like, you know, the moms were like, oh, my house is so messy. And there's one magazine. (laughs) There was just stuff like, I mean, everywhere, things that should have been in the garage. There was like a, I remember there was like a garden hose in the the living room. Like, I was like, what is this doing here? This would be in the garage. It was just stuff everywhere. It was like, it was clear the wheels had come off. Right. And so we sat down on the couch and I said, Hey, I, I don't know what's going on, but I feel like something's going on. And so I'm your friend and I love you. And I I need to know if what's going on over here. And she looked at me for a really long time. And I think she was assessing my sincerity. Mm -hmm. And then she started crying and she just Mm -hmm. started bawling and she poured out the reality of what life had been like over the past several weeks. And Pretty much it was just think of all the pressures that are on you when you have a new baby. You're just exhausted. You're mentally exhausted, physically exhausted. To summarize, her other four kids, instead of being helpful, were being just like, it's like they were were working together to try Mm -hmm. to make her insane. And she just was drowning. She was done. Like I say, she was more than drowning. She had drowned Mm -hmm. and was now like at the bottom of the ocean and needed CPR. And Mm -hmm. so she, she looked at me through tears and I said okay, I love you and I'm your friend. And so of course I'll be praying for you. Of course I'll bring you a meal, but like the time for thoughts and prayers is over. I said, do you want me to be the bad guy who comes over here and writes this ship? And she she (laughs) kind of like paused for about a minute. She said, yes, yes, I do. And in that moment, like the, her, her willingness to accept this help that I was offering, knowing that that would entail me. And as she would soon learn (laughs) our our mutual friend, Jennifer, who lives on the the three of us were kind of Mm -hmm. the the three amigos, like us stepping into the messiness of her life, like true messiness, like disaster. And I think as moms, you, you tell these things in your head, like, well, this is my, I made this bed, so I have to lie in it. I don't want to tell anybody that I'm in this predicament because I created this predicament. I chose right. to have these children, or I made this financial decision, or I allowed my husband to treat me this way or whatever, like whatever this thing is, you need help, but you've wrapped it in shame because somehow you feel like it's your fault or you should have done something earlier or whatever. Like, and so we say nothing like just incredible. I'd never seen a willingness to be like, yeah, like I need your help. Come, come into my life. I will expose every dirty secret, like literally that I have in this house right now. Mm -hmm. And so over the next two months, Jennifer and I, we came over, we read the riot act to those kids, especially her teenager. 
yeah, we laid her out <laughs> and, then, and we were like, here are the new rules. And our, we were like, the priority is we are giving your mom the space she needs so that when she can stand on her two feet again, she will. But in the meantime, until then, we are like, we are your new nightmare. Like we are coming in, <laughs> we are cleaning up this house. We like, we showed up every night and helped put those kids to bed and made sure that like teeth were brushed and trash was picked up and dishes were put away. And that we were only making one thing for dinner and everyone's going to eat it. And all all these, these, just these little things that like just keep a house running. But when they go off the rails, everything gets screwed up. And so for two months, she led us into her life. We parented those kids, like disciplined those kids. We had to reiterate some really important healthy boundaries that she needed to reestablish. And what time was she going to bed? And lock that door. Other kids are not allowed to sleep in your bed with you or on the floor yeah. of your room, or you're not to make more than two. Like we had to tell her some hard truths about like, you need to set up these healthy habits, like things that often in any other circumstance, I couldn't have imagined ever saying to another mom because it just would have yeah. been awkward. And like, are you lecturing me or like, but in this context, she knew she needed help. We were there to offer it without judgment. Like we were never like, oh, why would you have another baby when these other kids are such terrors? You know, like, you know, <laughs> right. like, you know all the things that you're, you're in your mind, you're like, oh my gosh, that's what somebody will say to me. Even though it's not true. We did not think that you know, in the end, after about two months, she, she did, she, she was able to like, kind of stand on her own two feet mm -hmm. again. And, and at the same time we were getting emails from her husband who was in Afghanistan. And he was like, thank you. Like, thank you for being such good friends and standing in the gap and being there when I couldn't be there. What I love about that story is not that we were able to help her, which was great, but it changed my perspective on what it means to be vulnerable mm. with friends. She was such an incredible example of how strong you have to be in order to be vulnerable with people. And I think we tend to think of vulnerability as like a weakness, right? Like, like people will think I'm weak. People will think I'm incompetent or that I'm some kind of like friendship manipulator. If I ask these people for help. And the reality is that's not like, could not be farther from the truth. Amber was never stronger in mine and Jennifer's eyes than she was when she was like, I need, I need help. Like I, I have to admit, I need help. I cannot do this. Please come into my life and help me. And we were like, yes, we will do that. We're going to work and with you and help you. And there's no judgment there. And then after the fact, you know, when it was all said and done, our relationship went to the next level because we had shared that vulnerable season with each other. Right. And kind of weathered it together. And again, the key, of course, was no judgment, no condescension. But did we agree with all of the parenting decisions she had made that had got up to that point? Not necessarily. Or would we have done things differently? Sure. But that didn't matter. Like our friend needed help. We helped her. And it it changed, it changed everything. I think that's what people say. Vulnerability is messy. Friendship is messy. That's what I think about. It was physically messy. We were literally like taking out trash and, you know, scrubbing toothpaste off of like, <laughs> how did toothpaste get on this part of the floor of the bathroom? Not even close to the sink. You know, literally helping clean the house, but also like it's risky. It is risky to be vulnerable. There's no vulnerability without risk. It was risky for me to walk across the street and knock on the door. It was risky of her to accept our help and like let us in the house and it was risky every day to like let us back in. And I'm sure she was fighting the 
the desire to be like, oh, okay, I think it's good. I'm good. Long before she really was good. <laughs> right. So like, let it play out. Super risky. But man, she she did it. And I think there's a lesson there for uh, for both sides of that story, whether you're the one who needs help right. or you're the one who it has the margin to offer help in a, in a friendship. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that story in so many ways. It's funny because I I got your book on audio. And so I've heard you tell that story before and I have tears in my eyes a little bit, just thinking about the beauty of that connection. And you know what I love is that you didn't send her an email. You didn't send her a text message or even call her on the phone. Like you put your feet to the ground and you walked over and knocked on that door. And I think that's such an important piece of an example of vulnerability and wanting to step into her time of need, because it's super easy for us to just be like, Hey, do you need anything? And what do we, if it's a text message, what are we going to say? No, I'm good. Thank you. And and we don't really get to see the depth of what someone might be feeling or going through. So I just love that in person, like you were in her face, you you went and confronted her in person. And I think that the reminder of the, the beauty of in-person connection. That doesn't mean that we can't connect or be vulnerable with people through technology. We talked about Marco Polo and things like that, that we can do to deepen friendships with people. But I just love that example. And then I also love her accepting of the help. And again, you said that's vulnerability. And I think that self-sufficiency is an enemy of vulnerability. As you Mm -hmm. were saying, it made me think Mm -hmm. about that because I think as women so often and women who listen to this podcast, again, we're, we like to have things perfectly and let people think of us in a certain way. And so when we are trying to do everything in our own strength, sometimes that means we're not vulnerable, whether that's something simple in terms of, I remember I have a friend who she struggled for years. Like she would not let anyone see her without makeup. And Mm -hmm. while that might on the surface be like, oh, that's not a big deal. Like I get it. I don't like people seeing me without makeup either, but that was a really big thing for her because she didn't want anyone to see physically what she looked like without it. So it could be something more surface level external like that, or it can be the deep hard stuff of I'm really struggling in my marriage or as a mom or financially or whatever that looks like. So everything on the spectrum, I think when we try to be self-sufficient and we try to alter people's perception of who we are, I think that's a really big red flag of, oh, we're trying to control or trying Mm -hmm. to let people create this image of us. Oh, they're so self-sufficient and she's so strong and she's, she can do all of this, but is that vulnerability? I don't, I don't think so. Right. In the year that my husband was, so my husband, for those of you who haven't looked at my bio, my husband is an astronaut and he spent nine months in space. The nine months he was gone, I was forced to admit (laughs) that I needed help and to be vulnerable in a way that I honestly, I don't know that I had had to, to, to do in another other stages of my life in so many ways. I remember I'm not, I I am now a kind of a big crier, but I didn't (laughs) used to be a big crier. I feel like his time and space affected my crying, (laughs) cry level. I remember going over to my friend's house a week after we got back from the launch. And I literally just went over there just to like say hi, but we started asking me some very 
just insightful questions. And I just started crying. And at the time I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so embarrassed. I didn't, you know, you're doing one of those things that I hate when, of course, when people do, which is apologize for crying. (laughs) You're like, it's okay. You know, and the other person's like, please stop apologizing. But I was doing that. I was like, I'm so sorry. I did not come over here expecting to like be bawling like a baby. And she just held me in this really nice, long, for some people, probably uncomfortably long hug. <laughs> and she was like, I actually love seeing this tender side of you. To me, it was like just the right thing to say at the time because I was feeling very exposed. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, I am <laughs> like, I probably have snot on my face. Like, but even more than just physically exposed, like I was feeling very emotionally exposed. Mm-hmm. And in her just saying that, hey, I I like seeing this part of you. I like seeing you authentically not that she's like, I want to see you in pain, you know, right, wanted, right. but, but like to express this, this aspect of this is a little bit of a struggle right now. And I want to step into that, but it is like, I feel like being vulnerable with friends is something you have to choose to do. Some people think, oh, well, I'm just not a vulnerable person. Like I just really like have with this sh-. and I get it. Cause right. that's me. Like I got this, leave me alone. I don't want to inconvenience you, but I've learned I think a lot through that season where I had no choice, but to ask for some help. And then some life things happened that I like had no control over. I had to be like, okay, it is okay to ask for help. It is okay to show this. And actually by pretending like I'm super strong, even though I'm not like, it's not, I'm the only one who, who who's suffering here. I'm alone. I'm not being authentically who I am. I'm not expressing my needs. I'm not expressing that I'm in some emotional distress or whatever it is. That's not, that's not friendship. And when we don't let people see that we lose out, the friendship can't grow. I mean, even like, so while my husband was in space, I got one day I got the flu and this is like classic mom. Like I'm at home with four kids. I had just gotten home. I was like, Oh, I don't feel so good. I'm sure it's my pants are too tight. So I changed, so I changed into like sweatpants. And then I was like, uh, maybe my bra is too tight. So I took my bra and I put like a sweat. So I'm literally like braless sweatshirt, sweatpants. And then I was like, Ooh, I really don't feel good. And so I laid down on my bathroom floor and I felt so terrible. I woke up like 30 minutes later, realizing that I had, I clearly had the flu and I was not well. And I actually kind of scared myself because I was like, oh my gosh, I'm the only adult in this house. And I just kind of like conked out on the bathroom floor and I'm so nauseous. I like, I think I'm dehydrated or whatever. And I luckily had my phone near me. And I thought to myself, I need to call someone. Like I am in trouble here a little bit. I'm a little scared. I actually remember the voice in my head as if it was another person. And they were like, are you sure? Because you really don't want to inconvenience anyone. Wow. If you are like literally brawless on your bathroom floor <laughs> with full blown flu, you cannot get, I was so at this point, I was so weak. I felt like I could not get off the bathroom floor and like spoiler, I had full blown flu. I had to, I had to have two, luckily I have a several doctor friends and they, they literally came over. I had to have an IV put into me and one of them slept on my couch for about 24 hours until just so happened that my in-laws were nearby and they came and took care of me for three days. But like I was in literal medical distress. And even then I was like, Oh, I don't know. I don't want to bother anyone. I don't want to bother anyone. Maybe I should like somehow more, more confirm that I need help, (laughs) even though I don't know what other physical proof I could have. Like I'm about to like, I cannot get off the floor. And then it was like when they showed up and they literally just came into the house and came into my bathroom. And I remember this friend, 
he's like listening to my chest with his stethoscope. And I'm thinking like, I am braless right now. <laughs> oh my gosh. And he like had to help me in the bed. I mean, it was like, oh my gosh, oh, I'm exposing no. all of myself here. <laughs> but it was like, wow, we really, I will really fight this. Like I will fight vulnerability tooth and nail until I literally cannot, I don't have the physical strength to fight it anymore. And that is not a healthy place to be. Like that is not good. And my friends stepped up in that, like a friend showed up and she was like, I'm taking, I was like half, only half conscious. She's like, I'm taking your kids to the high school play to get them out of the house. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> but you know, she just did it. Like she stepped up when she saw the need. And that is what your friends will do when you say, I need help. Like yes. I need help. Yes. Again, it goes back to what I said before. Self-sufficiency is the enemy of vulnerability. And it's so crazy how that's our first tendency is you're saying you're on the floor, like so clearly sick. I think I can manage. (laughs) I'm sure I can, I can tough it out. No, I could not tough this out. Right. Yeah. It was bad. It was bad, but being willing to say, I have another, uh, a friend who is so good. Like, I wish I could be more like her in that she's really good at saying she'll leave me a Marco Polo, you know, which I like, cause I can see her face and she's like, I'm just having a hard day today. And she doesn't try to, def- she can't define it. So often we're like, Ooh, like I can't ask for, you know, I can't be vulnerable unless I can like name my need and then they can somehow meet it. Like I have a problem. Can you fix it? And she's like, I'm just, you know, I'm having a hard time this week and I don't know what the problem is, but I'm having a hard time with my kids this week. I'm being a hard, you know, I, I don't know what to say, or I'm, my marriage is in a tough season and I don't know what the solution is. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what the problem is, except to say that it's not great right now, you know, or whatever. Right. I love when she does that, then I can just be there. And again, it's, she's so, it almost translates like to confidence in herself that she's like, I can express this to you. And now she's not expressing this to everybody, you know, she's right, not right. on Facebook, right. but like, to the select few that she is feels comfortable with that we all like those one or two close friends that you can be like, I'm opening my heart. I'm cracking it open. And to say, I am in pain and I don't know what the answer is. I'm not asking you to solve it. I just need another person to know that I'm experiencing this. I think that's what we all want is just to, for there to be someone else in the world who knows what we're going through. Mm-hmm. And that's what vulnerability is. The willingness right. to be like, I don't need you to solve it. There may be no solution, even if you could. I just want someone to to hold my hand, right? But literally or yeah, spiritually, <laughs> while yeah. I'm while I'm going through this. Yeah, I think we all long to be seen and known, right? I think those are just core needs that we have. But when we live in that mindset of self sufficiency, we don't let people see the real us or know what's going on in our lives. So that's something to just tuck away and remember. And I think when we think about the flip side of of friends in our life, we want to see them. We want to know them better. So if they're operating out of the same mindset that we sometimes do of self-sufficiency, then do we really get to know and see them? And and the answer is no, if we're all, somebody has got to give, right? Somebody has to be the one to call to walk over to the other person's front door and say, I need help. Or can I help you? Whatever that looks like. So, and and I think really it just, yeah, somebody taking those awkward, brave first steps, like we've talked about all along and, and it can be simple, right? Like you said, we don't want to just vomit all of our 
part of our whole life onto somebody that we've just met, but it's through time. And I think through maybe trial and error is the best way to put it. If, if we may say something vulnerable to someone that may not get it, that may look at us with a side eye. And then we're like, Oh, okay. That wasn't a safe person. Maybe I need a boundary there. Or that wasn't the thing to say. And they're not my safe person. So it is some trial and error. And it does yeah. mean that maybe we're going to get poked or it's not going to feel great. Or we, we discern that this is not the right person. But again, what's the flip side? If, if we're never vulnerable and we never share open up to anybody, then we're going to be lonely and not have close friends. Like we've talked about at the beginning. So it's just that opening up. And then I think the more that we do that, the more that we create a culture of vulnerability with our group of friends, then it invites them to do the same thing as well. I can think of times, yes, when I helped a friend and then she expressed a need, I helped her, then she knew, oh, I can, it's reciprocal. We can each ask each other for help and be brave and just develop from there. So I think it can start very simply. Yeah. And I think it's like opening a door, right? You kind of like open a door and you see if the other person walks through it and sometimes they will, and sometimes they won't. And I think it's important to recognize that sometimes the reason a friend doesn't reciprocate or doesn't walk through that open door is not because they don't want to. It's because they got their own stuff going on. Sometimes it has nothing to do with you. Like, Absolutely. I know there have been seasons where looking back, I'm like, oh, I could, <laughs> when she said that she was clearly looking for me to walk through that door. And I didn't even recognize that it was open because I had uh, too much of my own right. drama going on. And I just was not aware of that. And so there's a learning point there of being aware of when people do open doors and kind of like assessing like, all right, I'm going to commit to walking through, like, if I want to have authentic, deep relationship with this person, when they open a door, I'm going to commit to walking through it, even though I don't know really exactly what's on the other side. Mm -hmm. But then if you are in the position of you said something that felt very vulnerable, very tender, and the person did not reciprocate or the person just, I don't know, blink blinked at you and you're like, oh no, hey, don't, don't assume it's because they think you're crazy or that they don't agree or that they don't want to be your friend. It's just maybe, maybe they got their own stuff going on that you don't even know about because maybe your friendship is still kind of in the baby stages and you were the first to go first, but don't give up. That's why you may have one good friend, but it's good to have a couple more because it is people have their own stuff and it is unrealistic to think that one person, we've talked about this in previous episodes, (laughs) I think that one person is going to be able to fulfill every emotional need you have and be there at every moment of every day. You know, they're not a hotline, like they, they are a real person. And so it's good to have a couple people who, you know, and, and it's weird to think that you kind of have this like categories of friends, but sometimes there is, there's a friend that you can share about like, work vulnerabilities, another friend who shared more about family ones or things, people you can be open about your faith struggles or whatever it is like, and that's okay. In fact, there's, there's pluses and minuses. That's great to have a friend who you can share all those things with, but better that you have multiple than none at all, because like you said, the alternative is you share none of that with anyone. And that's, that's not good. It's not good. Right. Yeah. It's really important. I think again, friendships will grow deeper as we share little nuggets here and there. And then we feel comfortable with people to invite them into the really hard things or when they come knocking on our door, sensing that something is off, we can share openly and honestly. So I love that encouragement you gave Stacey of of don't give up just because 
someone might react in a way differently. It may not be about you. It may be about them and how what you shared brought up something for them that they're processing. So a lot of people are processors. I I like to acknowledge that because I'm a little bit of a processor with things. And so sometimes people don't know what to say. And, And so we just need to give them credit of, you know what, it's okay. They might just be thinking about that, or maybe we'll come back to it later, but it shouldn't stop us from being our authentic selves and letting people see and know us. Yeah, absolutely. I don't give up. And, you know, and I think if you're like, yeah, I have maybe a couple, a handful of friends who I think could potentially become a deeper friend if one of us goes first and starts sharing, then I'd say like, it starts in the little things. It's not like if you, if you have not shared a lot of your authentic self or your, your pains or whatever with that person, like, yeah, don't jump right to like your biggest marital conflict, whatever. Sometimes it's as simple as saying, like, if you haven't gotten together with them in a while, be like, Hey, I miss you. Can we get together soon? Like, putting that it's vulnerable to say, I miss you. It like it's vulnerable to say to your friends, I love you. And I care about you because again, the fear is that they're going to be like, mm, that's nice. <laughs> it's so of, true. Know, it's so like, true. Instead of like, Oh, ditto. Like what? <laughs> no, no. Because again, there's so many like relationship, just like a dating relationship, marriage relationship. There's so many parallels. Like we don't say these things. I, I personally, one of my areas that I'm trying to work on is to verbally say the things that I'm like, I feel them Mm. in my heart about you, but how often do I say to my friends, Hey, I love you. And not like in a, like tossed over my shoulder on the way out the door, but Oh, like, or how many times do I tell you about your attributes of your character that I Mm. appreciate? We don't say these things, even though we think them and we feel them. And that's the building blocks that then when you do want to share or something happens, that is, is really sensitive. Like you can share that because you've built the foundation of this is a relationship that I can say, I miss you. And that person says, I miss you too. You know, like you right. gotta have to start with like step one and then work your way to like varsity step 100. <laughs> but again, like we said at the beginning, it takes time. You can't jump from step one to step 100. You have to step every single step. And so don't try to rush the process by jumping from, I miss you to, pour out my soul and every dark, deep secret I've ever had. Like take it in time. It's going to take time. It's going to take effort. It's going to take sacrifice of your schedule of probably of your pride. As you share things of yourself, it's probably going to take sacrifice of your time in terms of showing up for that friend, listening to stuff, putting, keeping your mouth closed when they share some things that you, that maybe are not in perfect agreement with the way you would have done it or decisions they have made in the past. It's hard sometimes because you're not their parent and and you want to be a good friend. So it just like understanding this is a process. This is that growth process and you will get there. If you stick with it, it's a decision every day to be like, I am going to continue to show up in this friendship open, knowing that the risk is that they don't reciprocate or worse, they see something they don't like, or they, they respond in a way that is painful to me, but it's not, but you can't let the fear of what might happen stop you from opening yourself up to the good things that could happen. Right. Absolutely. Cause there is that reward that could be on the other side. I think the risk is there, but the reward could be even greater. So let's not let that hold us back. That's right. So friends, as we end, I was just thinking of maybe a little homework for you is to think about who and how 
could you be vulnerable with this week? So maybe it's just a friend that you call and be like, Hey, you know what? I'm feeling off about this. Or here's something I'm going through. If, could you pray for me or just something? It could be something simple. So just think about what in your own life can you be vulnerable about and who can you be vulnerable with? That would be a safe person. And again, those seeds can be a place for your friendship to grow. That's right. So just a reminder too, that we would love to hear from you. So go ahead and DM us on Instagram at Andrea Fortenberry at Stacey Morgan, 2000 with any of your questions or thoughts about these episodes. We would really love to have a conversation with you and please share about these episodes with your friends. Again, these, these episodes can be a great place for you to listen together and then have conversations and have growth in your friendships from there too. So we'll be back next time. Thanks for joining us today. As we go, I want to remind you that you're doing an amazing job as a mom. No, you're not perfect. None of us are. There's no such thing. But you're showing up, you're learning from your mistakes, and you've got God on your side. He fills in the gaps of our imperfections, and we can trust Him. Keep going, my friends. You are doing good and meaningful work. I'll see you next time.